Calling all beans, y'all. Let's get it. Yes, I'm your host, DJ, along with my co-conspirator, co-collaborator, my brother from another, my co-pilot, Money Nathan. What's What's up, up, Money? What's up? What's up? And you know why I said co-pilot Nathan? Because Mm. I love when we fly together. You know why? Why is that? It's because Nathan's the kind of guy, you know, he can land the airplane just as well as me, but... You know what? The only time he puts on autopilot is when he's checking his Twitter feed. Other than that, he punch out autopilot off, and he's flying the yoke and the throttles, man. So mm-hmm. that's what's up, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what we're talking about. Uh, also, let's say hello to our associate producer, Akashi Chris Mullins. Woo! So excited to be here. Yeah. We have an angel backstage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know it. I know it. I know it. So excited. My hand. Uh, our humorous antagonist, oh. Um, oh. who apparently had a scoop of biological material taken out of his waist, but we'll get to that later. Not a big deal. Nobody be concerned, okay? Say hello to Flarius Kevin. Flarious. Hi. What's Hi. Up? My name is Kevin. <laughs> I like pie. It's good. Cheers, my brother from another. And, of course, our, our researcher and contextualizer, the woman who's able to put it all together, and the times when she's not thinking about the phenomenon is when she's sleeping, and she's still thinking about the phenomenon. Right, Nathan? That's all You know time. that's right. 24-7. 24-7, baby. Mm-hmm. What's up, Debs? I mean, the addiction is real. It's real. <laughs> <laughs> we got to get her in- for that now. <laughs> Nathan, yeah, we mm-hmm. got to get her in a treatment. So we'll look into yeah. that after the show. But now it's time to welcome in our special guest, a man, uh, a bas- basically a star of the uh, the small screen, the big screen stage, the host of Somewhere in the Skies, the playwright who can't be wrong. Party people, put your hands together. For a Mr. Orion Spraga. Yeah! Put those hands together for the playwright who ain't wrong, baby. Give something up of yourself. I thought it was pronounced Spragu. That is the warmest welcoming I've ever gotten. Spragu, Sprag, Sprag. It's, I don't care, guys. We Just uh, don't call me late for dinner. There you go. Can I get an amen, especially at a New York City restaurant? We were trying to uh, use a little bit of an exit and say, Orion Sprague. You know, so we're just trying to channel, I don't know, something from Florence. I have no idea. Mm -hmm. Uh, (laughs) You make me want pizza for some reason. Come on. All right. New York style. Yeah. Where are we going in the the city? Are are we going to uh, Grimaldi's? Are we going to John's? Are we going to uh, Patsy's? I mean, where do you, what's your? In Manhattan, I go to John's all the time. John's on Bleecker Street? Yep. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, Because if you go to Ray's, it is not the original Ray's. You guys know that. If uh, Elf has taught us anything, there's no (laughs) original Ray's. It never existed. (laughs) 
Ouch. All right, man. So I dig it. I'm glad that you're into pizza. That's just another thing that we can connect on besides the fact that uh, we're both New Yorkers. Um, So anyway, I'm going to kick this off, Ryan. And uh, this is what I got for you. Obviously, at some point uh, during this journey, you identified yourself as a researcher, you know, uh, and, and you've, you know, been looking for answers for far longer than, than any of us have. As such, I'm sure that your interests have sort of ebbed and flowed to different aspects of, of the phenomenon. So I'm curious, what is your most current line of inquiry? Uh, like what tangent of the phenomenon, I guess, has, has piqued your interest at the moment? Yeah, I mean, I have been, I would say, researching UFOs specifically uh, since age 13, when I um, I actually <laughs> conducted my first interview with a UFO witness when I was 13. Um, and I think as the years have gone on, and as I've matured and um, kind of honed my researching skills, I can honestly say... I have absolutely no effing idea what the hell UFOs are. <laughs> it checks out. Yeah. Any but, UFO researcher that tells you different, they're full of it. Well, no, but but, but what I was getting at, what I was getting at is there, you know, a lot of people were talking about hybridization now. We're talking about uh, the dimensions. We're looking at, yeah, did, did that hybridization happen 70,000 years ago? How does consciousness play into all this? What is consciousness? Mm-hmm. You know, are there multiple realities? So is there a certain thing right now? Like Nathan and I last week were doing this deep and Deb, we're all doing this deep dive on consciousness. What is there? Is there a a current tangent that really has you that that you're focused on at the moment? Yeah. um, You know, again, going back to my early years, I was all about E.T. Like UFOs are piloted by extraterrestrial intelligence from another planet. Um, And I think as time has gone on, and that answer actually seems to um, be the least likeliest. <laughs> and that is because of the incredible scientific discoveries and innovations we have made as human beings uh, in the world. I mean, again, you look at the incredible just, um, you know, revolutions we have had in, in science just in the past few years, but past few decades. And the more and more I think we look into these phenomena uh, we realize that they are somehow intrinsically linked with everything, whether mm-hmm. you're looking at um, consciousness or, or, or quantum physics, you mm-hmm. know, something we're just beginning to scratch the surface of. Um, I think, I don't think we're going to find the answers anytime soon. And I know that might be a sobering way to start the show, but oh, that journey I think is going to lead to so many incredible things. I remember speaking to a historian who looked at the UFO topic strictly from a historical aspect. And he said, you look at every decade of researching this phenomenon, and it's always two, three, four, five steps ahead of what we want to be, what we inspire to be as humans, as, uh, as, as, you know, scientifically based uh, beings and, you know, progressing. And um, UFOs always seem to be a couple steps ahead of us. And that's exciting. We now have something we can look at in videos or or photos or have these conversations and be like, wow, that could be us someday. So, yeah, man, I think um, consciousness is I'm getting a lot more into that lately. And I wasn't that way even like two, three years ago. So um, 
I think it's awesome. That's why I love watching your guys' conversations because they go there. And so many of these UFO shows don't go there. It's the goddamn tic-tac for mm -hmm. the millionth time <laughs> and analyzing the video. Did it rotate? Didn't it? Did it? Did it? Didn't it? I don't care. I don't care. Yeah, I'm over There's it. There's more important things we yeah. should be talking about. It, am I the yeah. only one that's tired of seeing the tic-tac on every news article? Like, that's mm. the picture they use every time. Absolutely. I'm tired and of I'm it. guilty of it as well. <laughs> All right, yeah, me, that I, too, Kev. Yeah, I, I got music. Yeah, I gotta pass you over to my man right here. There's a reason why we call him Money Nathan. You' about to find out. Oh man, hey, listen, Ryan. So first off, um, this book, which I can't get in the frame, yeah. is awesome. That book is awesome, and uh, I just want to say your writing style is so engaging, and uh, the way that you write the characters and their stories, you know, and, and sharing their their stories just it comes through you know it's just really a passionate work and I, i'm you. really grateful for the time you put into that and sharing that with everybody um it's clear to me that you're a student of human nature you know that you really are someone that uh doesn't just get the facts you kind of look at a deeper level at who the person is and i was sort of curious i know you had an experience really early you know when you were 13 and is that something the, the way you look at people and the way you Kind of engage with them is that something you've always been inclined to do or did that kind of develop after that experience or you know later in your life where did that come from right well oh i'm so happy you brought that up and thank you for the very kind words um you know i i always tell people that book is um those are stories from people all over the world in all walks of life every belief system um they they made the book like i i found some way to kind of string it together but um that was all on the witnesses and experiencers who had the courage to come forward and use their real names mm -hmm. in the book which was something i was big on uh for the very beginning i think it helps empower people to come forward it normalizes the topic um blah 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 this is not a pitch for the book <laughs> so people i should buy it hold on y'all should get this <laughs> yeah really no I, you, yeah we really want to promo your stuff please Really? That's very kind of you Please. guys. Um, so yes, I did have a UFO sighting at age 12 in 1995 uh, with my father. Um, we both saw a triangular shaped or um, not shaped triangular formation of lights over the St. Lawrence river river, excuse mm -hmm. me, in central New York. Um, and it scared the living daylights out of me. Um, my father kind of stood there dumbfounded, could not explain to me what I was seeing um tried to for days weeks after that um and couldn't and i had nightmares and it really affected me mm -hmm. um no matter what it was mm -hmm. it could have been a blimp it could have been a stealth craft it could have been from zeta reticuli i don't know i probably never will know but um it did it, it changed my life in that moment and that's when i started doing you know the the mile-long bike rides to my local library and taking out the books on Nessie and Bigfoot and UFOs. And um, and then I mentioned my first interview with someone was uh, a year later. My dad actually, um, he's a bowler. He actually, mm -hmm. today he's celebrating uh, the anniversary of his, I think, seventh 300 game in bowling. Wow. He's like, oh, man. Hello. the dude abides. Um, yeah. That's oh, all yeah. I can Moly. say. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so so your own. Yeah. yeah, man. Congrats. Happy uh, 300 anniversary to. Uh, the second Lebowski, I guess. Incredible. Um, <laughs> <right>? Yeah. <laughs> the the yeah. name of your next play, 
Yes, man. That's what we need. We need a Lebowski musical. Yes. We'll get there. Absolutely. I know we'll get there. Um, But yeah, so I think from the very start, um, I interviewed a Vietnam veteran who had a UFO sighting over the Pacific Ocean. And again, mind you, I'm 13. I'm talking to this guy on the phone. This guy has had more life experience than me, my parents, anything. And just to be on the phone, hearing him talk about being in war um, actually was like two hours of a two hour and 20 minute conversation. Mm. Maybe 20 minutes was about this UFO. But I just I just remember being enthralled by this man's life and then how this UFO event that he had never shared with anyone except his son, who in turn was the one to tell my father, who in turn told me. Mm. And um, and he told me about this crazy Foo Fighter-esque UFO event he had over the Pacific during Vietnam. I wrote it down. I handed it in um, to my English teacher as a (laughs) a writing project. Awesome. And uh, I got an A. (laughs) And um, that was kind of it, man. Um, The the witness unfortunately passed away months Mm -hmm. after that. Um, But I was one of the few people he left that story with. And that really touched me. Mm -hmm. Even Mm -hmm. as a kid, I was like, wow. The fact that he like trusted me with that, he was willing to finally get it off his chest, as a lot of these military people never do, um, more now so, more than ever. But um, that really hit me. And then, mm-hmm. you know, as the years went on, my interest in UFOs ebbed and flowed. I always kind of like wrote essays to myself about like <laughs> Roswell and um, whatever, um, you know, Billy Meyer or what, insert UFO thing here. Um And then when I um, got to college, I got really interested in theater. Mm. Um, I was an athlete. I played baseball um, in high school and then a little bit in college. And then um, I got injured and I was like, okay, I got to figure out something else to do with my time here. And I joined the theater department. I'd done a couple of plays like before that. And, um, and I caught the bug and theater became Mm. kind of my life. And I decided that, I would act and I would write because I Mm. loved writing. Um, I merged those worlds together. And that eventually led to what I consider my ufology, which Mm. is dealing with the people. Mm -hmm. And as a playwright, you, that's what you do. People are your world and you create characters, you create everything around them. Uh, What makes them tick? What, what changes them? What ultimately changes them as a person? Mm-hmm. That's why we see plays and movies. We want right. to see a person either um, get their comeuppance or or get like that one thing they've always wanted. And a lot of the time, these UFO events can be a pivotal moment in someone's life and it can change them forever. Mm-hmm. So I decided right there and then, like, that's what I want to do. I want to go. I want to talk to people who've seen these things that I've seen, who don't have answers to it, might never get them. But how did it? What did it do? How did it affect them? How does it affect the people around them? Like, oh, you said you're abducted by aliens 10 times. What does your husband think about it? <laughs> or what is like mm-hmm. your priest at the church you attend? What do they think about you being interested in this? So mm-hmm. that's really um, what kind of led me to where I am today. And that's the people who've seen these things. You know, nice. I, I like to say that that um, any of these, whether it's a live performance on stage or music or art, the reason that you attend something like that is to be moved emotionally. If you go to any performance and you're moved to emotion, then that artist accomplished their goal. 
whether it's Absolutely. you know going to see the Beatles. It's like <laughs> okay, some people can really take take apart the music, like Kevin and and wow, you know George is a genius, and so is and so is John and the guitar. But really, it's being moved emotionally. Is is whether they're watching your play or 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 even just looking at a piece of artwork in the Louvre, and people just stand there and just go, oh my god, you know. So I, I'm, I'm the first conversation you and I ever had on Twitter, which was not a DM or anything. It was just. It was me extolling the virtues of you being a playwright and how, because I'm not, I'm so not that, that yeah, I'm, so I'm so impressed, impressed with people, people that, that can do that. So oh, anyway. Thanks, man. Well, it's the same for, you know, everyone in any field they're in or trade they do. I, I find that fascinating. And that's kind of what I do as a playwright. I kind of live, you know, by proxy through these people. And I'm like, oh, what's it like to like grow up as, you know, a person who builds a house, like something that I would love to do, but even wouldn't know where to begin or, or a scientist. Like, so those are the times where I get to sit down, be a playwright and be like, huh, what would that be like? And kind of live through those characters. So I appreciate that, man. And that can be said for all you guys. I know um, quite a few of you are artists as well. And that's important. Art will always survive in some form in some medium and it's what makes us who we are and honestly it outlives all of us and that actually mm -hmm. makes me so happy and yeah. comforted you know we might fear not leaving a legacy behind but look this stream could be in the air forever <laughs> and oh. that's crazy for me to think of mm -hmm. that like these yeah, things we do People, they'll be able to contrast the difference in my looks to yours, which is pretty discomforting. But anyway, let's pass it over to Okashi Chris. I'm kind of freaked out because I'm like, oh, man, you just brought that up. You're right. This is forever. Now I'm having like a Cindy Brady moment. Just for oh, no, I'm so sorry. <laughs> it is forever. Forever. I'm for forever. <laughs> that's all that's right. popping up, up in my head. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Um, wow. Uh, but seriously, Ryan, I I love I I love your podcast for so many reasons I'm, i'll sit there and i'll listen to it and i'm am enthralled because you take people on a journey and and just like right now as you're talking about you know really learning about the human experience i think that's where that's where the meat of this is is how did these experiences change the people a lot of people that you listen to are talking about facts it's like okay what did you see at this point in time what did it look like draw it that's not your approach in I mean, I, that's part of, of what I love. So um, one of the questions I have for you is, is as you have gone through these journeys with this, these people, um, which one touched you the most? Which one changed, you know, which particular story, if you could say one, changed you, if you don't mind me asking? Yeah, absolutely. Um, now, I, there, there's been two editions of my book. There was one in 2016 and then 2020. Mm -hmm. um, in the 2020 version, I added more stories. I updated the stories from the previous book because, again, like it was in print and it's kind of immortalized there. But the, the experiences continue. The, mm -hmm. the implication to having these experiences goes on. And some people even have more experiences. It's mm -hmm. like opened a door for them. So mm -hmm. I wanted to catch up with all those people and see, hey, did, did it happen again? Or like, have your thoughts changed on it at all? Um, so that was an amazing, um, I would say, luxury and opportunity I had mm -hmm. with um, my, my new publishers, Beyond the Fray. And um, 
I think for me, there's there's two stories. And I, I you know, all of them are my children. That's what we learn in playwriting. <laughs> like, they're all your babies, but sometimes you have to kill your babies, is what I was taught in playwriting, which is a morbid way of thinking about it, but it's true. Like, yeah. you know, I, I had hundreds and hundreds of stories that I then had to whittle down to, like, what are the most impactful? What are the ones I can really bring to people for the very first time? Um, and I thought that was important, too, to hear new stories. Mm-hmm. And um, there was one story in both of the editions that really sticks with me until today. And that was a gentleman named um, Scott Scott Santa. He mm-hmm. was a, um, a, I believe he was in the Coast Guard. And you'll have to forgive me. I always get um, the years mixed up with the hundreds of people. I think this was in 73 or 74. Um, he had a experience in um, Cuyahoga Falls, Ohio. And um, I, I can go through it quick if you guys want me to, or I can go right yeah. to the end. It's up to you. Go no, 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 please. Keep okay, going. sure. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> so Scott was... Um, He's with a buddy. They're like in their, I want to say late teens, early twenties. And they, um, they're going out to a drive-in movie, um, you know, for the night, just go see like a double feature. And, um, they pull into this drive-in in Cuyahoga Falls and they're just sitting in the parking lot waiting for the movie to start. It's packed, like sold out. And, um, you know, they're kind of just chatting back and forth, him and his friend. And, um, all of a sudden, the huge floodlights in this parking lot just shut off like all at once. And it was like, everyone was just left in pitch black. So they're like, Oh, this is a little cool, little freaky. So everyone's Mm -hmm. like, yeah, they start like honking their horns. I'm sure some of them started choking up, like whatever, like they're probably, they're going to have a good time of whatever's going on. And then all of a sudden over the movie screen, they could see this like light appear behind the movie screen, not on the screen, but behind it. And all of a sudden over the screen comes this craft. Um, Scott said that it was sleek. It was glassy. It was black. It was crescent shaped and it was huge. He said, this thing came over the screen, went over the parking lot. And because all the lights were off, all they could see was like the moonlight and the stars bouncing off of it. So that's how he realized it was like slick and classy. Mm -hmm. Um, And he couldn't see the stars behind it, just, you know, the reflections. Mm -hmm. And he said from, I think, tip to tip, it covered the entire parking lot. So whatever this craft was, it was freaking huge. And it just floated silently over the parking lot. And Scott, like, tried to start the car. He's like, we're getting out of here. We got to get out of here. Car wouldn't start. So mm-hmm. this starts happening to all the cars there. People trying to turn them over and nothing's mm-hmm. happening. You've got a classic close encounters of the third kind sort of thing happening. Mm-hmm. Um, finally, the craft, it floats over the parking lot, goes off into a field in the distance. And Scott and his friend are just sitting there. And you would think, all right, that was crazy. Let's talk about what just happened. Mm-hmm. Nothing. Scott just some for some reason gets out of the car, goes and gets in line at the concession stand with some other people, gets some popcorn, gets back in the car, and they watch the double feature, like four hours of movies. And nobody there is talking about what just happened. So everybody just did the same thing. They just started watching the movie. 
Like yeah. everything is cool. Yeah. Like something had been turned off in their brains that whatever just happened. No, it didn't happen. Some sort of like instant amnesia thing. And the only reason Scott remembers this is uh, like a few years later, um, he saw, I believe it was like the Edward Ruppelt UFO book. It had a flying saucer or some sort of like crescent shaped craft in the book. And it triggered his memory. And all the memories just started flooding in of that night of the craft, how big it was, it going over there, him waiting in line with people and no one talking about what the hell just happened. Um, so basically him and his friend, they go home, he drops his friend off and they never talk about what happened until years later when these memories came in. So Scott came to me with this story and I'm like, that's really interesting, but where's your friend? I would love to talk to him. Mm -hmm. And he's like, I lost touch. I have no idea how to get in touch with him. And I'm like, ah, okay, damn. Like that, that would have really helped. And I'm like, okay, let me do some digging. Cause I do, I want to do my due diligence. It's just a story for me at that point, mm -hmm. as mine is to any of you. Like no one was there when it happened. I'm telling you a story. And um, I tried my best. I went to all the newspapers at the time. Nothing mentioned about some weird UFO over a drive-in. Um, I did a bunch of research into the drive-in. Obviously, it's not there anymore. Um, there's very few of those left in, in the country, mm -hmm. let alone world. And uh, nothing. I, I couldn't find anything. And I was like, okay, I believe something happened to you. I'm going to put it in the book. I think it's a really interesting story, especially this idea of no one talking about it, some sort of like memory wipe immediately some men in black shit i don't know excuse me sorry it's crazy sorry. and <laughs> um and that Smile. really affected that really affected him and um i remember there were times i was on the phone with him and he was like i mean this is a rough guy like um you know he, he's been through a lot in his life and mm -hmm. um almost to tears like telling me i wish there was some way i could prove this to you i like my friends don't believe me. Like nobody really believes me because nobody remembers it happening. Mm -hmm. And that, oh. that really like, ah, just, it, it got to me. So when the first edition of the book came out, I kind of was like waiting, you know, it's kind of like fishing. You just put the, the bait out there and you hope someone else will like, you know, will nibble on it and be like, Oh yeah, yeah. I was there. Or like, I saw it. nothing, nothing, nothing. And then I remember one day just going through my Gmail trash or like spam folder. And usually it's just, you know, I blindly just delete everything. And then the subject line of one hit me. And all it said was drive-in movie theater, UFO, Ohio. And I was like, whoa, what is this? So <laughs> I click on it and there's this whole story from this woman named Cynthia who said, I did not live in that town. I lived one town over and me and my sister saw that same exact thing. One town over same year. Pretty sure it was the same month. I just want this guy to know he's not alone. We think we saw this. And the other thing that really hit me was she said her sister didn't remember seeing it. So she remembered it. Sister didn't. You've got this same amnesia thing happening with supposedly the same craft. And when I brought that to Scott, he was just like, oh, my God, this is awesome. So I put them in touch and I'm and all I hope is that they can find, you know, similarities and at least find some sort of um, sense of togetherness. And he can now confide in someone else who said, you're not making it up. You're not crazy. I saw that. And that story really sticks with me because that's what I wanted. 
from the very beginning was for people to read these books and be like, oh, man, I did see something weird when I was younger. I just didn't think anyone would care. Mm-hmm. I care. You guys care. We care. And we want to hear your stories because that's what's going to make this topic everyday conversation over coffee or or or, or scotch in, in, in my world. Nice. So, yeah, yeah. That one really stuck with me. Love it. Deb, did you have a question? Thank you. Thank you. My pleasure. My pleasure. (laughs) Yes. Well, yes, definitely appreciate the fact that you're letting people know what's going on. Um, And I think that we need to do that to normalize the conversation, to make what seems abnormal normal, right? Um, Yes. So my question has to do with that original feeling that you had when you were younger. You said that you were afraid and that you had nightmares. And I believe that some of the people who experienced some of the the Navy UAPs said similar things. And we hear this from other experiencers that they're, you know, they're scared. They're um, having some PTSD. Um, So I, I guess, you know, I imagine that a lot of people that you meet have that. And uh, I just want to know where you are with that now, if you've, if you've come to a different place with that ap- after so long of processing. Yes. So um, in the updated version, I did have the amazing honor and opportunity to um, interview Kevin Day, the chief radar operator from the Nimitz encounter. And um, man, like talk about an event affecting your life. Like I, I can't think of, I couldn't think of a better way to end the book than with this powerful testimony by Kevin, because that Nimitz Tic Tac event, although we're sick of seeing the photo in the video, um, that does not strip it of how powerful it was for these military witnesses who, you know, at times we hold up as like the trained observers and uh, the ultimate credibility of a UFO account, which I understand like why mm-hmm. people feel that way. Um, the same could be said about law enforcement. Like these are detail oriented individuals who are trained to differentiate between things, who know kind of what's going on in the skies or should know. And, um, but in those moments when they see these UFOs, just like the pilots, Fravor and, um, and uh, oh gosh, she's escaping my memory. Her name, Dietrich. Thank you, Alex Dietrich. Yes, um, it changed them too. And they're human beings, just like we are in the civilian world too. So, like, if they can't make sense of what they're seeing, who really can? And um, Kevin was deeply, deeply affected. He held that Tic Tac event in for so long, didn't talk about it. Um, was told not to talk about it, and um, it kind of ruined his life. I mean, he flat out told me that. He said, this shit, like, completely ruined my life with my family, with my friends. They thought I was crazy. They told me to stop talking about it. Kevin had very, very um, traumatic nightmares Mm -hmm. about what he had seen and dreams of the world ending and it having to do with this tic-tac and this and that like talk about having after effects or ptsd even um that was his last station was before retirement was that damn tic-tac event and if he had just not been there that day imagine where his life would have been so i'm sure that ate away at him for many many years and then the best part of that story that really um stuck with me is He was working at a golf course, like helping wait tables. He was volunteering to help the golf course make money. Um, He loved 
the community there and wanted to help him out. So he would wait tables every now and again. And he's bringing a fish and chips over to a table. He looks up at the news on the TV and boom, there's the Tic Tac on the television, on the news. And he dropped the plate of food on the ground, shattered everywhere. And he just remembers getting on the ground, starting to pick it up. And there's just tears coming out Mm. of his eyes. He couldn't believe what he was seeing on television. And people are like helping him pick stuff up. And he's just glued to the TV, listening to um, Commander Fravor be like, this happened in 2004. I saw this. People on the ground saw this. It was real. We don't know what it is. And again, Kevin's life changed in an instant. Once he saw that on TV, floodgates opened. Everyone started talking about it, involved with that event. And he now knew he was not alone and that he could talk about it and that he could come forward with all this. So now he's just trying to make sense of all of it. Like what pieces of the puzzle can he put together with uh, Gary Voorhees or Commander Fravor or all these other individuals who have come forward and were there when it happened. And that's awesome. I just think that's so cool. So yeah, um, Kevin is a prime example, I would say, as many others in my book and all over the world having these experiences where they um, they hold it in so much because of their, they're afraid of what society will think about them, that it, it really does start to change you and not always in a good way. There were people in the book that turned to drugs, that turned to alcohol, that um, became very depressed or became, you know, over the top conspiracy theorists or, <laughs> or everything in between. And um, that's what's crazy. I set out to find patterns in these stories until I realized it's not worth it. Like we are creatures of habit. We want to make sense of things. We want patterns, but UFOs are chaotic. They don't give a shit about what we think, where they're landing. They don't care about borders of countries. They don't care about leaders of these countries or (laughs) nations. They don't give an F about nothing. And that like the rebel sort of punk in me from my early days really appreciates that. So yeah, (laughs) Yeah, that was my long winded uh, answer. They don't care where 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue is. Um, so in my opinion, or my address, which is <laughs> never mind. Anyway, uh, but no, I, you know, I've spoken with Gary uh, he's on the phone and he's he's public about that. He's had PTSD as a result of this incident, while Dave and Alex are like, oh, it was just another day flying. Uh, well, I don't necessarily believe that, but I don't think it's affected their life in the negative way. But what I will say, um, so PTSD is, is very real in seeing one of these for it doesn't matter whether you're military or civilian. You know, mm-hmm. there are many, 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 many thousands of civilians who have seen something like this. And it has effect- Max McCabe, our friend of the show from the UK. Um, there's no question. And I hope that you do get a chance to speak with Max because his experiences were four or fivefold guys, something like that between yeah. shadow people and a uh, a cylindrical craft hovering three stories above his house. Um, so several incidents happened with him that scared the hell out of him. And when you talk about a rough-looking uh, a guy, uh, Max is you know it's not the kind of guy who scares easily. And when you see him, you'll say, "Yeah, I could believe that." Um, that aside, you know the the thing I spent the, this weekend chatting with Frank from UFO Thinker podcast from the UK. And he has done, oh, yes. to say that he's done a deep dive on the Tic Tac would be a little bit of an understatement. <laughs> uh, but what 
this he says this is the most compelling case of all time because there's more evidence uh, that's even available to us anecdotally than any other case of all time. The fact that Kevin saw this on a Spy One radar, which was the most advanced radar in the world at the time, certainly this, the, the, the most advanced seaborne radar for sure, and it probably still is today with the upgrades they've had since then, that makes it very significant that it's not something that somebody could imagine they saw because a radar, um, a phased array radar like the Spy 1 and the amount of logic um, and sort of the signal processing that comes in, in those radar returns off of a Spy 1 are extremely detailed. And mm -hmm. so they saw something. There's no question. And in fact, even Frank pointed out, I didn't realize there was a formation of craft associated with uh, Tic Tac. I, was, I knew about that that Ryan Graves uh, talked about that. But then again, Ryan Gra the, 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 the craft that Ryan Graves saw were, uh, were, not, were seen on IR, but not with the visual eye. Mm -hmm. Whereas with the Tic Tac, there was VisObs, visual, there was radar, and there was also sensor data uh, backing that up. And then, of course, Lou alludes to geospatial data that they say they can see a softball from space. So I don't know. Uh, I, that's to be continued on that. Very, very I, well. It's, it's. It, I, I do believe him. It's very, very classified, and we'll never, in in our lifetime, we will never see that geospatial data. Um, because if you could get that data and see it, then that means the Russians could also get it. So, <laughs> good point. So that, that's, that's there that's, was a um yeah. an article that came out today. I think in the Drive, uh, where they a satellite photo caught some new craft out at Area Fifty One. And like, it looks pretty weird. It looks sixth, sixth generation. Mm -hmm. And I'm reading this article and I'm like, that's really cool. But like, should we be posting this? You know, I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> it's like back when, you know, Groom Lake was first getting built. And, and many years later, when like the Russians took photos of it, sent it to the United States. And they're like, what are you guys up to? What's this base? <laughs> what are desert? you working on, on here? <laughs> what type of aircraft is this? I don't right? recognize the signature. Oh, man. Right. So I always worry with stuff like that. Like, yes, I want to know what these craft are, exotic craft that are being tested. Obviously, I think it's just as cool as everyone else does. But at the same time, I run into that struggle, as many UFO researchers do, of like, I want the truth, but is it going to cost us our national security? Mm -hmm. And like, you know, I, I, I don't lean either way when it comes to like, oh yeah, I'm all in with, with military. And I'm also not like, you know, peace and love and light. Like humans are complicated. Mm -hmm. Humans are complex. Um, but I do find that struggle a lot with like, do I want to know? You know, there's always that like catch 22 and like that question UFO researchers get. Like if you were given the opportunity, and they were going to give you all the answers to everything you've always wanted to know about UFOs, but you can't share it with anybody or <laughs> you have to go lie to the UFO community and tell them this. Cause that has happened. We know that it's been documented that UFO researchers disinformed the public and other UFO researchers in order to get a truth from those in power. So it's scary, man. Um, just such a weird game. And, and, and you see that now in the world with intelligence communities and all this Pentagon task force stuff. And I truly wonder where's it all going and why? Why is it happening now? I, I still don't know. Well, we, we, um, we can explore that during the course of uh, and, and maybe some open discussion that we can 
have later on. Uh, but there is a complex and scary individual that we have just below Nathan named Kevin, Flarius Kevin, who probably has a question. And then we can. Uh, but Nathan and I, but before we pass it to this complex, scary person, uh, Rick Doty told Nathan and I that uh, he saw some stuff that really scared him. Uh, and uh, Rick Doty is not a guy that blinks. So, uh, <laughs> what do you think of him? What do you guys think about him? We, we, I mean, he's, he's one of those individuals who I, yeah. if who you I watch, mentioned. if you watch the interview that we did with him and you saw how we introed you, and then we had a bunch of laughs with him, and he, and he was very comfortable, he gave us far more than what we were trying to get. We asked him very straightforward questions. Give us a percentage. Uh, you, in, in your opinion, what is the percentage that Roswell happened? He said, because of videos, eight millimeter film and still photos I saw, 100%. We asked him when he worked at Area 51, TDY a couple times, temporary duty. What's your percentage that there are actual craft being held there? He said 80%. So now my 100% looks better because he said, because I didn't see it with my own eyes, despite what I was being told by others at the facility, I didn't see it. I give it 80%. So I found him to be very credible. He did what his mission was at the time, which when you sign your name on that dotted line, you will do. You don't have the option of saying, you know, I'm not comfortable with this. It's like, really? Okay, bye. Uh, court martial yeah. time. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I think, um, and Ryan, you, you, know, you pointed out that we are complex, right? I think that, that we lose sight of that truth you know, so easily, you know, we, we like to think things are really binary, black and white, you know, you, you do one thing, and that's you for the rest of your life. It's a funny standard that we don't want to apply to ourselves, uh, but we happily apply it to other people. Um, so I think, Very good point. you know, Rick is a complex guy, and uh, he's lived a long, very interesting life. And he's in his 70s now teaching, you know, high schoolers, I think, or college, college. math. Yeah, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, it's, <laughs> he's not. Can you out imagine there. being one of his students, uh, like, right? I mean, just like if you seriously. got into UFOs and like learning that your like professor was so part of weird. this crazy campaign, like, like project part of the history, style. you know, like literally the fabric <laughs> of ufology. You'll find Rick Doty, crazy. you know. So, um, yeah, I found him to be you know just fascinating and and um, and contrite as well. You know, we did talk about you know basically kind of his role and how we are still dealing with the downstream consequences of the things that took place in the eighties and, and before. And, um, you know, I think he really, he reflected on that and, and agreed, you know, that there was a lot of work that, that has to be done, um, to regain the trust of, of the public on this topic. And, uh, it's a really unfortunate, honestly, because, uh, if, if the government is picking a time to try to come clean with a subject, this is like the worst time in American history. It feels like to try to do that. <laughs> you know, we, we can't, we can't agree on facts, you know, it's tough. I, I completely agree with you. Yes. But and I do wonder mm -hmm. like why that that's what I keep asking myself. Why is this happening now? Right. And you're right. Like the distrust in government, uh, the distrust in science is stronger than it's ever been before. And it is very black and white. Like you guys mentioned, we're not looking at the, the nuances of the debates and the conversations. And I fall victim to that all the time. I'll be the first to admit, like I've said shit online that I regret. Now I've lost friends that I wish I had just sat down and listened instead of blocking or doing this or that. Mm -hmm. And I hope, I hope, hope, hope that 
Um, this is just a wound that needs to heal. And I hope that it gets better. Um, I, I don't know if it will, but you do bring up an interesting point. Like, okay, we're now living in an age where the government is admitting UFOs exist, at least here in the United States, and that they don't know what they are. And now we're just supposed to say, thank you, finally. <laughs> we're so happy. Okay, so you got it under control. When for 70 plus years, we haven't trusted them. Mm-hmm. And we know that they have covered things up. We know they have lied and possibly for good reasons. Again, I can't right. be the, the um, judge, jury and executioner on that. But um, end of the day, like I, I struggle with that every single day. Um, even with the stuff that Lou brings forward or, right. or Chris Mellon, like these guys were in these machines that were keeping the, the truth from the public in many different ways. So we're just supposed to believe everything they say when they come out. No, and they'll be the first to admit that. And I actually really respect that, that they're willing to say, don't believe me. I'm just going to tell you my truth, and hopefully the truth will eventually out, and we're going to try to make that happen. So, Mm -hmm. Ryan, is it not the most ironic metaphor of all time that (laughs) life is is shades? The truth in life is in the gray, not in the black or the white. That's usually where the extremist person is. It's in the gray, and in the phenomenon, where's the truth? In the gray, and what color are they? <laughs> They're gray. How ironic gray. would that be? It comes up time and time again, man. It is. Stan about, Friedman's gray basket. And just to close the door on, before I hand it over to Kevin, just to close the book on this, and I, and Nathan, feel free to disagree with me on this one. I, Rick, I would characterize it about the seventy-minute mark or so. Rick was extremely contrite about uh, things that that he had done, and that was not at our urging. We weren't. We weren't looking for contrition, but that's the type would, would you agree, Nathan? That's yeah, completely. That's the place that he was at in his life. And, and who among us, I'm contrite about a lot of things that I've done that are stupid. So, you know, that I wish I didn't do. So um, let's pass it over to somebody who has no contrition about anything at all (laughs) and is not sorry. And that is there is Kevin. Yes. Legend. You talking about me? I'm so nervous, Kev. You first don't know what's going of, oh, on. I don't know it. No one knows. First, Nobody knows. First of all, you're awesome. Thank you for, for all your contributions, man. I, I mean, I've been, I listened to you first before any of these other podcasters came up. You were first. You set Thanks. the standard, man. It's all you. And that alien behind you scares the crap out of me. <laughs> okay. I, you I, know, I got to be more careful. That could be triggering to a lot of people who follow oh. my work. Should I get rid of it? It's what do you guys? No, 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 no. Okay. Keep, it. Keep it, man. It, it's I've a got a funny scare. story about that. That's actually, Tell. that that is a bust that I had made from a guy in, um, in Los Angeles. And he is the only commissioned sculptor by Whitley Schreiber to make these of wow. the alien Whoa. he experienced um, during his communion events. So, um, wow. I was, I was dude. so happy to have it, but dude, my, my girlfriend is like, get that thing out of this apartment. <laughs> get it That's out. The one like, that takes, no it, one's going to break around the corner, down. man. Yeah, Deb, they're going to come in this apartment and see that and get the F out of here. Deb would like you to dress them up with wigs and glasses, I think. Is that what you said, Deb? Yes. Okay. So, like, that's what they did for E.T. to kind of make him fit in, you know, just put a wig, you know, some sunglasses. I, right. I had a Are you scared, Deb? Santa Claus hat on it during go. the holidays. Yeah. yeah. That might yeah. Work. Oh, it's like Alien yeah. on the Shelf. 
Mm-hmm. There, there we go. Be version. Exactly. I love it. Right. Actually, if, there you if, go. If Kev, did you have something else you want to torture Ryan about, or would you like to? I did actually. He said, right, go ahead. He said he was scared, so you know I, I've got a bit for him. First of all, I got a question. This is your question. So, um, have you ever done um, written a sci-fi play? Yes. So oh, you have. Actually, yes. So, um, oh. two. Um, I'll, I'll tell you the really brief story. Um, they're still cool. in development, which is the thing you'll hear any playwright always say. It's still in development. I'm still working. <laughs> it's true. I, I mean, it. look, Tony Kushner, one of the most famous Pulitzer Prize winning playwrights in history, wrote Angels in America, um, defined a generation when it came to the AIDS epidemic and, um, um, and you know, the whole thing with homosexuals and everything going on with that. Angels in America was a beautiful piece of theater. Um, that a lot of people say it's written in stone, can't change. Um, where Tony Kushner said, I'm still rewriting it. Every time I go see it somewhere, the movie that came out on HBO about it, I find things that I'm like, oh, I should have thought about that before. And he rewrites it. So I love that. It's always a work in progress. Um, oh, but yes, okay. I, um, I met my mentor, actually, uh, UFO researcher Peter Robbins, who's actually yes. also a, um, yes. He's, He's awesome. a theater guy here in New York as well. Um, I read his book about the Rendlesham incident, and I was like, holy crap, I got to meet this guy. Because I saw in his <laughs> bio he was in New York. We met for coffee at a diner in Manhattan and struck up a friendship immediately. And I told him, look, I'm interested in your book and hearing about UFOs, but honestly, man, I want to write a play about the Rendlesham Forest incident. And he was just so touched by that. I wanted to write it through his eyes um, as a researcher, blah, blah, blah. Um, so I have been working on that play for a very long time. As you guys know, the Rendlesham Forest incident is very controversial. Some yeah. people were had this experience. This guy had another. This woman had this. Um, this guy was lying. Like It's so messy and chaotic, which a lot of these mass UFO sightings can be, especially military ones. Um, we, we've seen that with a Tic Tac one as well. Some people being like, ah, he wasn't there. Or, no, that didn't happen. Um, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. But, right. um, so I am still working on that play, but I did write a short version, a one man play about one of those witnesses. Um, I created him. He was an amalgamation of a lot of the different witnesses of that event. And I wrote it into a 10 minute play. Um, I premiered it on Halloween here in New York city and, um, people loved it. They absolutely loved it. They're like, dude, you got to keep doing this. And I was like, whoa, okay. I found a way to mix my playwriting world with my UFO world, other than, you know, like I said earlier, focusing on characters, blah, blah, blah. Now I can actually put UFOs on the stage and know that people want to see it. So, yeah. Right. Okay. Well, I've yeah. got, actually, I've got, I did a few, Um, I did some merging myself with, you know, musicals and UFOs. So maybe maybe I can give you some ideas for some title names if you would like to to see what I got. You please, know. please, please. Always. It's a video. Um, Nathan, do you have it going? I'm ready to go. Let's do it. All right. Thank you, sir. Oh my gosh. This is all right. Amazing. So there's our little entrance here. You know, like all stage plays. <laughs> Isn't that flashy? Okay. So the first one is Mick West Side Story. Okay. <laughs> oh all right. Here, here we go. We got. Bam, Mick West doing his thing. All right, yeah. Uh-oh, oh what happened? Oh, and then we got Lou Miserable. That's Lou Elizondo. 
Okay. Oh my god. Oh look at amazing. look at Lou. Okay, Lou's about to. Cool. All right, we got little ship of horrors. That's your little gray alien. Yeah, look at that. That's oh your. Oh my god. Your man. ship. Your your sighting in the sky. Well, here's the dentist sort of. <laughs> we don't know what he was gonna do. He could have yeah, been an I alien. Want, I don't want to know. Oh, that. oh, and then the Grifter of Oz. I don't know who that person might be. I, you know, no I, comment. We, we won't comment on that. You're not gonna hear me talking too much crap about Mr. Greer. He, he gets oh, a little. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh my god. There we go. That, that's it. Th those are my ideas for oh you. Oh my god. Standing <laughs> oh, ovation. He's so all right. Good. I can't even remember what I was going to ask you after that. I, I, I am stealing all of those. Oh, I do. I, those are I, yours. I love oh, it. Oh, thanks, brother. That was so. Oh, that made my night. <laughs> oh, I'm glad. I'm glad. Actually, I do have a question now, uh, Ryan. But it's not for you. It's 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 for my co-pilot, my co-host Nathan. Sweet. It's a serious <laughs> question, so I'm going to put my serious face on. Okay. Nathan. With all this, <laughs> and by the way, my next question for Ryan is going to be when he said an amalgamation of characters, I'm going to ask him to imagine what the five of these characters to your left would look like if you made us into one character and sound and act like, but that's oh for later. God. Okay. For, okay. For right now, my co-host, Nathan, <laughs> you know, Nathan, when, when we talk about uh, hybridization, we talk about loose theory. Uh, there are several others, Michael Masters, so on and so forth. Um, I wonder if you would be comfortable discussing the fact that it's possible, is it possible, that biological material was taken from Dr. J. Allen Hynek and that you may have resulted in that, uh, the reimagining of that biological material? I see it. <laughs> It's making sense now. <laughs> he knew where I was going, man. He totally knew. <laughs> Dude, you guys are like improv. Like you threw the ball in the air and he caught it. That was amazing. Nathan, do you want to discuss this uh, at all? Uh, are well, you willing you know, to comment? I just need to have a talk with my mom, I guess. <laughs> Nathan, do you have any you scoop marks? Do you have Mama scoop marks do you have on any your hip? <laughs> <laughs> yeah oh yeah i haven't checked maybe i do oh yeah you'll you'll yeah. love this ryan uh, on our group chat flares like um hey guys um i have a scoop mark on my hip that it looks like something may have been scooped out i don't know where it came from and you know what i gotta go so i'll talk to you guys in like a day and a half bye <laughs> i took the picture oh. first I'm like, Kevin, Ke Kevin, master of Kevin right there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's everything. Okay. Kevin, that's how you leave an you impression, man. The bomb and left. Yep. Like, I'm okay, guys. I'm okay. He's okay. Cut He's back black. with us. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. It's Deb's turn. We got to let Deb have a shot at Ryan, man. Go ahead for it. Deb's a researcher. Oh, I'm sorry. Contextualizer. I'm, you can't see, but I was laughing into tears, but I don't, I don't <laughs> I, I guess that I was just going to um, bring up when we were talking about um, these experiencers and what they've gone through, just try to bring up again, because, you know, my background psychology, I'm really interested in getting help for people. Um, I was going to mention that there was OPUS um, and that's O-P-U-S, the experiencer group, which is fantastic that people can access through Twitter. 
Um, there is also a MUFON experiencer support group. Mm-hmm. And Ryan, did you did you know of others that you could share about? Um, yes. So, you know, in my research, I did reach out to different support groups when it came to my book. Uh, they were very kind to help me and direct me towards some people who might want to go public and whatnot. So I worked very closely with these support groups and kind of um, the, the individual and been like, okay, like, let's work through this. They realize their name's going to be out there forever. There's no going back. The public's now going to know about this. Um, and I wanted to do that. I wanted there to be a mediator between me and the experiencer to be like, because they trust them. They have told them the most intimate, um, most bizarre uh, stories that have happened to them. Um, and then here I come along being like, let's put it in a book. Um, and that, that pisses me off more than anything guys, to be honest. And I get, I, I was just talking to my girlfriend about this today. So I won't say which company, but there's a major, major film company with an individual who has made some of our most beloved movies about aliens in the past. Not going to say who it was, but his company reached out to me and, um, they found my work through somewhere in the skies and they read the book and they're like, we would love to talk to some of these individuals. Like, can, can you like get, get us in touch with them? And I was like, yeah, hold on. Like it took me years to get this person to come forward and talk about this. Like um, let's, let's work on that. So I did, I did. I worked with these people and um, I helped them along the way and, and the individuals who decided to become a part of this project, they trusted me at this point. Um, to now be a part of that project. And who knows what it's going to become, if it'll actually be made. Um, but this happens in Hollywood specifically a lot, is these people will reach out to UFO researchers or experiencers, and all they want is your story. And I, I can tell you, after sharing what I did with these individuals, I haven't heard from them since. And they haven't contacted me, nothing. And, and you see this a lot where you know they want to exploit these stories for entertainment. And that's unfortunate. It really, really is. I wish it wasn't that way, um, but that's how entertainment works. But these are people's lives. These are individuals who have had very traumatic experiences, and what light you paint them in could follow them for the rest of their lives. So I sincerely hope this project shows them in a good light and shows the human side of this, that these are normal people. These are not fantasy-prone people. These are not people um, making shit up, to the best of my knowledge. Um, these are not um, clinically uh, depressed or, um, um, you know, it, people with mental issues. These are people who had an experience. They don't know what it is, and they just want to find out what it was. Something happened. Um, wow, wow, that was a diatribe. Yes, there are other groups out there that I have personally worked with. Um, one individual who I can recommend is one of the nicest people I've ever met is uh, Kathleen Martin, the niece of um, uh, Betty Hill. From the famous wow. Betty and Barney yes. Hill abduction. Yes, I've uh, heard incident. her. So she is just um, one of the kindest, sweetest, most understanding people I've ever met. She works directly with experiencers. In fact, I just featured on Somewhere in the Skies an episode about one of the people in her book, Denise Stoner, who has had abduction experiences ever since she was three years old up until oh today. And um, Kathleen is just such a gem. Um, Anyone who asks me, who can I turn to, who I can trust, who's not going to lead me in a hypnosis session, who doesn't have ulterior motives, and just wants me to say it's aliens, because I don't know that. And a lot of these experiencers don't claim 
that it was aliens um, mm -hmm. when it comes to these abduction experiences. Um, and Kathleen is one of those people. So I would definitely direct people to her. Um, there's also the, the free organization. Um, forgive me, I don't know what the, the acronym stands for, but they're another really good, responsible, uh, understanding group of individuals who will, if anything, hear your story. And sometimes that's enough closure for some of these people. I, I will say that it just in my experience, and I'm not nearly as far in as you are, but you know, I have gone pretty deep. Uh, a lot of people want to come and talk, and like getting that exposure is really helping them. And it's they're not afraid right now. Right now, they're not afraid to give their real names. They want people to know. They want to know this is something that's happening and something they're dealing with. And there have been studies that have shown that this is happening to people who prior to their experience did not have mental health issues. And then of course, afterwards do sometimes as a result. So, right. um, but you know, I, I just had one really important thing I had to ask you before uh, we turned over to other questions. And I know we had some in the chat, but what's the deal with the jackalope? Oh my gosh. Is he not? Oh, I moved in. Oh, he's over my teeth. He, I move him throughout the room to just keep things interesting <laughs> in, in, in our tiny walking closet apartments in New York. Um, so I have a jackalope on my wall right now. Do you want me to grab it? I can grab it quick. Uh, yeah, I just needed to know. Like, I, yeah, I, I was... Grab it. grab it, yeah, sure. <laughs> vamp, 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 Kev, vamp. At, yeah, after that, yeah, Chris, if you want to go next and then we could... Chris, you go next, and then if Nathan, do you want to I just have, to have open discussion oh, after that? Here he is. Yep. Oh my gosh, I just needed this to know. Jackie, Jackie, hey, wow. Hi, Jackie. Way bigger than I thought it would be. That's a big Jackie. So, yeah, this dude in Texas makes these. Forgive me, I live next to um a police station here. You're gonna hear more sirens. It's New York. Um, New York. Yeah. Dude. So this dude in Texas, he finds roadkill. So it's not like he's hunting these things and making them. Um, he will find animals that are deceased and he will make these things out of them, you know. Um, and hey, it's amazing. I love it. I absolutely love it. So, wow. you know, I'm all about recycling. And if we can even recycle life, um, I think we should. So, yeah. <laughs> love that's it. the story about Jackie. I, I, Jackie I, it's funny, though, because I, I would say that that's scarier to me than, than yes. the alien. <laughs> Deb, yeah, let me just say this, Deb. You cannot get abducted. You have kids that need to be taken care of. So you got to think about who's going to feed them tonight if you get abducted. I know, so, like right. I said, I'd, I'd be more afraid of the jackalope. I'm good. Okay. Oh, man. <laughs> I know. So I can crazy. only have one in the stream at a time. Or, yeah, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. That, I want both. That, I just want to say real quick, Ryan, that the, the voice you're hearing, the avatar, that is the host of Deb's Data Dojo. She is on our sort of podcast network, if you will. And uh, don't be surprised if you receive a DM from her to come on your show. She's a fantastic interviewer. Uh, she has picked this up quicker Love than... I could have imagined. She's amazing. Uh, but with that, our lovely associate producer, also from Texas, home of Jackalope Roadkill, Akashi Chris. <laughs> Jackalope Roadkill. That I, I'm going to have to make Take sure it away, I pick Chris. those hey! up. Yeah, pick those up when I'm in road trips. Now I know I can recycle. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, um, so, Ryan, ancient aliens. Talk about Hollywood. Uh, yeah. aliens, are you going to become like a yeah. regular? Are we going to see you all the time? What's the deal there? 
You did so, great, by the way. I saw this the first uh, episode of the season. I was like, I was so excited. Didn't they do it, an amazing job? Um, yes. Look, like I know not everyone watches Ancient Aliens. They're not fans. I get it. I totally get it. Um, but holy crap, this this season they came out swinging with that um premiere episode, kind of catching us all up on everything that's happened in the past few years. And they got some like prominent people in there. I mean, you had George Knapp. You had um uh the representatives. There were a few of them in the episode. Um, I, I was very impressed. And then this past week, we did an episode about world governments and their looks into UFOs and programs. So we covered France, Japan, China, um, Australia, a couple others too. And um, I was just watching the episode. You know, of course, if you're on TV, you're like, oh, where, when do I show up? I didn't give a crap. I was like so enthralled by by the work they did on those. I was very impressed. Um, so, yes. Um, a few years ago, I was approached by Ancient Aliens um, to work with them on another project. They wanted to make kind of a um, a uh, compendium or I guess even maybe a spinoff of Ancient Aliens where um, they would be like, this is the information we've uh, brought to you throughout the years, but let's put our feet on the ground, boots on the ground, get out there and investigate. And you do sort of see that in some of the Ancient Aliens episodes now. They do go to these areas, interview people. Um, so I feel like that's what it became. But at the time, I was in Los Angeles talking to the company and 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 with uh, Giorgio Sukalos. We became pretty good friends at that point. And um, he's he's an awesome dude, by the way. One of the most down-to-earth Love guys. Love my hair. Love oh, my hair. God. Yeah, he's kind of like... <laughs> Have you noticed he's tamed it down now? It's like it's it went up to here and now it's like back down to here. <laughs> yeah, um, what happened? Like, you know? <laughs> Nathan, yeah, you can't you get know. away from the hair talk, baby. It's gravity. Uh, it's gravity. Come on. <laughs> but yeah, so um, you know, that project unfortunately did not come to fruition. The the um the head, the president of the company that makes ancient aliens unfortunately passed away a few months after we started working on the show and um this happens once once the person who was really you know rooting for the thing to go through um is no longer here like it's up to the next in line to decide what to do and they they passed on the project at the time but they said hey we we love what you're doing like we love your your passion and 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 your insights on this like if anything ever comes you know comes of it we'll let you know um, and I never expected to hear from him again, as you do in Hollywood a lot. And um, I moved on with my life. And then I remember um, it was halfway through the lockdowns during the pandemic. And I was just so like down and out and like doing the podcast every week, which is my my baby, my love. I love doing it. But like I just felt so useless in my other life, my personal life. I wasn't really doing anything. And I know a lot of people suffered that during this pandemic and still are. Um, so I know a lot of people can relate. And I got a phone call one day and they were like, hey, we're doing an episode all about the Pentagon stuff. You want to be in it? And I was like, oh my God, that's awesome. Yes. And like, it just, it meant the world to me that like they reached out at a time in my life where I just needed someone to be like, we care about UFOs. Like we want to put this in a serious light that, you know, because a lot of ancient aliens is pretty out there. Let's be completely honest. Um, they come to some very, wacky um i don't want to say conclusions because they they do speculate and they theorize um that is kind of their their joke motto like theorize or could it be you know that's kind of their big thing um 
but they went all out and I was so impressed. And um, after those couple episodes came out, they, um, they contacted me again um, and said, we'd love to have you back. So I have since filmed, I think, four or five more episodes. Um, I knew it. I knew so it. I don't know what's going to happen after that. You and I was, I was honored to even be asked. And like, even, you know, for the brief moments I was in it, I was just so like touched that they would um, trust me with that. And, and, and I appreciate that. I truly, truly do. Who wouldn't trust a face like this? And I mean, come on. And you've already made a segue. Dude. Yeah. Can I get an amen? You've already made a segue amen. for us because we're about to speculate and theorize because we only have you for about 21 more minutes before we have to get you out of here. Uh, oh, gosh. Other that went quick. Yeah. Yeah. So let me let <laughs> let me pass it over to Money Nathan so we can speculate, we can theorize and we can get inside this dome, see what's what's going down. Yeah. Nice. Uh, let me and ask no you... rush, guys, to be completely honest. Okay. No rush. OK. OK. Okay, cool. I appreciate that. Yeah. So let me ask you a question. I we asked uh, T.J. Allard. Um, uh, so shout out to uh, Secret at Skinwalker Ranch. T.J., what's up, T.J. Holmes? Allard, big fan of that They're guy. A great up, crew. They're great awesome. Oh man, seriously. Great guy. Um, so you know, asked asked him his perspective as an artist, as a producer. You know, when you're doing a show, uh, and you know you're familiar with this as a playwright. You know, you're trying to take the audience in a certain direction. You want them to go through a transformation as you mentioned the characters transform but the audience you you want them to have a, a specific experience and if you've done your job then then they you get them there you know so yeah. if you look at the phenomenon from that lens of an artist and a playwright and a, someone creating that material what is the story that that is trying to be told i think it really comes down to some of the most profound questions every human has ever asked in their lifetime. And that's what I kind of go into every project that I do, whether it's film or, or television or movies is, um, or books, is trying to make sense of why we're here and um, what happens after. Again, you always hear that cliche of like two major questions, what happens when we die and is there other life out there? And what I think is so incredible is that because of what's going on in the world today because of the giant leaps we're making with like the james webb telescope or the galileo project or just the way private space exploration is playing out right now um i think we might get that answer in our lifetime i i truly believe that whether it's like again microbial life or intelligent life um many believe it's already happened and they have visited us and i again I wasn't there when these people saw these things. Um, um, you know, take that for what you will. Um, I think the story that's playing out for me and the way I want to convey that to the public and the different mediums of art I use is um, why? why? Why are we in this life? Is it about mm -hmm. finding answers to what life is or isn't it? Are we just supposed to experience it? learn from it and take it to wherever we go next, whether you believe in an afterlife or, or another plane or, you know, for me, um, I love this idea of like what you guys have looked into consciousness. When Moving you on. think about what that could be consciousness, um, it gives me so much comfort to think that there is this disconnected thing, um, whether it's a physical thing or, 
a thought form or um, something that we have to quantumly untangle for the rest of human existence. The fact that like once we leave these weird shells we're in, um, that there is something next, that death is only the beginning, that there's going to be another chapter some way, somehow. And maybe whatever these UFOs represent, maybe that's what it is. Maybe when we finally leave these things and go somewhere else, whether it's just our mind or if you believe in the soul or just pure energy, maybe we are getting those answers. And I love that. Whenever I see a UFO researcher pass away without having found those answers yet, I take comfort in knowing (laughs) that they've got them now. Maybe, maybe. Um, Or is it going to be another you know, place where they have to then find the truth to that? I don't know. But I love the concept of like, no journey is ever complete. Like there really is no final destination. Not not for me. I, I don't think I'm ever going to know what UFOs are. I'm being completely honest with you guys. Um, and I'm okay with that. I love the people I've met. I love the stories I've heard. I love the friendships and relationships I've made through that. Um, you guys included. Mm-hmm. Like we would not be here having this conversation right now for if not for it wasn't for UFOs and the phenomenon. No. And that's amazing because- now I get to see, and I'm not just sucking up because I'm on your show. I would not get get to see yeah. all your beautiful faces. Instead of we you, love you. Piece, I what did you see you. I did <laughs> yeah. see you as well. You are lo- you are loved here. I told you we were going to shower you with love, affection, and and humor. And I, so far, we've I think we've been successful. It's the only reason um, I'm here. Yeah, yeah. Now, now give me the hardball questions. No, <laughs> no. I, you know, it's not it's not what we do. You know what I mean? We're not hardcore journalists. We're not trying to play gotcha. Um, we're just here to try to explore the phenomenon through the eyes of other individuals. Oh, my cat has decided. Bella, <laughs> stop acting up. We're on the show. But, so, but I do have a hard question. But, Are you ready wait, for it? Wait, wait, help me. Hold up, Deb. I'm mid-sentence. You gotta watch okay. Damn. Take that Damn. <laughs> but, but we are, you know, we're trying to explore the topic through the eyes of people and then through ourselves because we'll talk like during the week. We talk to James. You know, we'll go and uh, uh, Nate, I'll talk to Exo on DM or James on DM, or we'll get together and try to figure out what's going on. And this notion, you know, I think it was Sir Isaac Newton that said uh, energy can neither be created nor destroyed, which, mm-hmm. and now people on this, as a result of this community, something I wouldn't have even considered until meeting all these people, uh, uh these friends, as, as you've described them have, have opened my mind to all these other possibilities that, this consciousness uh, perhaps is going to live on, that it will leave this body. And, and Nathan, Nathan will describe to you how it's, it's the brain is, you know, is, it, it's not the brain. <laughs> it's, it's not the brain. Right. But, but, right. but this notion of consciousness, how do you, f- so you've kind of, uh, you know, described how you feel about it, that it, it will live on, and that Stanton Friedman right now might be like going, Ryan, I know what's going on. <laughs> Open the spam folder on your Gmail. So, yeah. I, I, I sent you something from beyond. He sent you an email. He would so, appreciate sure. that joke. I promise. I, I promise. I'm, I'm sure. Let's get it to. Well, hey, man, we're all going to be there. Nobody gets out of here alive. Debs, what you got? Oh, and I was totally kidding. I just wanted to know what your favorite musical was on Broadway because I'm a big fan. <laughs> I was oh, wow. totally kidding. <laughs> nice. Okay. I got. I had to get um, really hard and difficult for you. Broadway. It, it, yeah. It's hard. It's hard. Um. Okay. Musical. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um. Yeah. 
So I think for me, the the musical that got me into theater was Rent. Um, you know, mid-90s rock musical, one of the first of its kind. Um, you know, Hair came before that, which was kind yes! of the inspiration. I love, that one. I love that. Yeah, for Rent. Um, I remember I was, you know, again, I was a baseball player. I hated theater, um, you know, kind of as a kid. I thought it was, again, it was for girls. It was for... Um, you know, people who were artsy fartsy. And here I was trying to throw like an 80 mile per hour pitch in like little league. And I remember my mom got me tickets to see rent in my hometown of Syracuse, New York. And um, I was like, I don't want to see this. What is this crap? And I just remember um, the musical starting. And I think the only musical I'd ever seen before that was like Phantom of the Opera. And I fell asleep like 10 times, um, which is funny because I now work at Phantom of the Opera which is like full circle. Um, but Rent was the one to do it. Once those first guitar riffs came in, in a musical, in a Broadway musical, I just remember like sitting up in my chair and like almost on like the, the shoulder of the person in front of me being like, I didn't know theater could be this. What? This is so cool. Like there's electric guitars in, in musical theater and then they're swearing, you know, and there's... um you know, all these different plot lines going on about different types of people in different situations living in New York City back in the in the 90s. And I was just like, wow, this is so cool. And I just remember leaving that day being like, maybe I could like this theater thing. Maybe I could. And um, yeah, yeah. So Rent was it for me. That was my gateway drug into musical theater. And um, I do have a special place in my heart for like the classics, like Phantom of the Opera and the music man and and stuff like that but i love these new shows that really shake things up and there's a few of them on broadway even right now there's a show called hades town um which is really cool um hamilton obviously took the world by storm, storm yeah. um and i had the honor and pleasure of working for lynn manuel uh the creator of hamilton um right. on his previous show in the heights which ran in new york for like three years and i worked the entire run of that show Ooh. in the theater and um and again Anyone who's willing to take a chance and put something out there that's never been done, especially in commercial theater, which Broadway is, uh, I think is awesome. Because what better way to get it out to the masses than through a 1,500-seat theater that's like sold out every night of the week, eight shows a week? How many minds and hearts you're touching with that just a is lot. astounding to me. So, yeah. You want to hear something cool? I, I went to high school with the person who directed Hades Town and got all those awards. Yes, that's awesome. Nice. That's Rachel. That's amazing. Small nice. world. It really yeah. is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, for me, that that uh, film adaptation of Hair, when they're in Central Park and you see them, they're playing the Age of Aquarius, and you see them skipping down that hill and doing these beautiful soft tumbles into these sort of balletic uh, uh, leaps, if you will. And forgive me, I'm. I'm I don't know anything about theater, but that's what kind of sold me on, on musicals was, was uh, seeing that the film adaptation of hair. And the only other thing I think I've seen on Broadway was Beatlemania. So that's going way, way back. So, nice. Yeah. Love it. So, Love it. Helter but, Skelter, baby. Yeah. <laughs> I have an embarrassing confession that when I had to choose which one to watch, I was probably going through kind of like a phase of not really being really deep. And I picked Xanadu. <laughs> 
<laughs> Where's that headband, Chris? Let's get that lit. No, it was a Love little it. theater. It was a little theater, and they skated around you because it was Xanadu, and mm-hmm. they had roller skates. And, that was a big uh, thing, like in the eighties. Yep, I, it was I remember. Huge. I'm old. I, it was. I know. I just dated myself, but yes. Oh, I, grew up with I didn't meet like that. Do, That's my homie, Chris. <laughs> I could have gone to something better, but I didn't. I went to Xanadu, hey. and I loved it. I loved it. I thought it was theater is so not awesome. going anywhere. Mm-hmm. Theater is not going anywhere. It will live forever in some form. So uh, next time you guys are in New York, you let me know. I'll get you into one of these shows for sure. Oh, I'm, nice. I'm I'll be there in July cool. or August, uh, every okay. twice a year, every year I come to Nueva York, but we got, you know, someone who, uh, who is going places and that's Flair's Kevin. What you got Flair? Me? Oh, okay. Well, have you ever shoplifted? <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. You said ask the tough questions. Like, no, I feel like I've been um, confession. Real hard all time. Right? I was. Well, I mean, there's five of us asking you stuff. It must feel like the Inquisition sometimes. No, the Nuremberg so trials. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, I had a um. Let's see. I got a serious question, actually. Or, <clears throat> yeah. So you've been at this a long time, right? You've got like a thousand interviews behind your belt, right? Something like that. At this point, yeah. I was. <laughs> Yeah, I was wondering, so as a longtime podcaster, if you could go back and give yourself, the old you, some advice about your work, like, what would it be? Oh, my God. What a good question. (laughs) (laughs) Not at all. I love what you guys do. Um, Well, that kind of bleeds into my answer, actually. Um, I know when I first started somewhere in the skies, um, again, as a playwright, like, I'm a slave to a script. I, I write words. And that actor better say that damn word the way I wrote it and take a beat when I tell him to um, or else. Um, So when I first started the podcast, I was very robotic, very monotone, very like sticking to the the outline and like even to the point where I was like scripting the entire interview. And I don't know what I was thinking because you guys know the minute you start talking about UFOs, like the conversation can go in a million directions. And I could never find a way to really bring it back to that script. And I realized I was wasting my time. Like this topic isn't meant to be uh, talked about that way. The You explore, you find, you, you have revelations during a conversation. And um, I think that's what I would have told myself from the start is just Go in and talk. Um, even if you don't say anything the whole time, like they're not there to really, they're not there to hear me. They're there to hear my guest. Um, that's why they listen to the podcast. Um, God, I, if I had to listen to my voice the whole time, no, thank you. No, thank you. Um, so yeah, I think for me, it would be that. And it would also be to not live in New York city and try to run a podcast because it's almost okay. impossible. I live right near a subway. It goes by every 10 seconds. I got to restart okay. everything. Um, it gets frustrating, you know, or what? you got noisy neighbors or the fire alarm going off. Um, but again, yeah. that's the beauty of New York, the chaotic place that it is. But it's definitely not a place to run a quiet podcast. So, yeah, yeah. Cool. Um, earlier, you were speaking about uh, the the possibility of you know future us looking back at us now that that seems very plausible that Alpha Centauri and other planets don't 
But, you know, you listen to guys that were involved in using satellites and other technologies to track uh, intercontinental ballistic missile systems and so on and so forth, like John Ramirez. And he said that these uh, unknowns or uh, UAPs, that as we now call them, have been spotted mm-hmm. outside the atmosphere and in space. So to me, it's, it, it seems as likely that, that there are future us's flying certain types of craft and possibly other uh, intelligences from outside of the planet. Like perhaps I'm a New Yorker. So, I mean, I've had since uh, you and I have first uh, messaged on uh, or, or tweeted one another, I've had probably seven, maybe eight high school classmates. We all graduated in, in 85. So you can know that was the height of the UFO boom via our friend Linda and, and Dr. Hynek, uh, mm-hmm. uh, Nathan's, well, anyway. So, um, but, <laughs> but do, do you, I mean, I, I don't want, do you think that we should close the door on that possibility? I, I don't, but maybe you do. And maybe you have, you've talked to a zillion more people and have studied this a lot longer than I have. The, the concept of us from the future explaining this? No, that I, I, I'm, I'm, on, I'm on board that all possibilities are open, including with the earlier craft, uh, the different types of craft and different, uh, um, let's say, behavior patterns that they displayed, landing, interacting, abducting, all these sorts of – you don't mm-hmm. hear a lot of abduction stuff lately – uh, and then also the fact that uh, they've been reported by people like Ramirez who know something outside of the atmosphere. Do you, so, or, but earlier you were sort of indicating you think it's not likely. Um, what is your your official position? I don't know. I I I I I, I mean I, again I think that's the most responsible answer I can give. But but um, I I also think it's very interesting, and you bring up a good point that these phenomena seem to, I don't want to say reflect because they're usually far more advanced than anything we possess on our planet in terms of how they maneuver, how they work, uh, how they affect us physiologically, psychologically, emotionally, um, and everything in between. It is fascinating to me that you see these kind of pins in each decade of, you know, saucers of the 50s, triangles of the 80s and 90s, orbs and and plasmas of today. Um, oh, my God, I love your cat. I love it. There she is. <laughs> um, oh, my gosh, I got so distracted. Um, Sorry. Yeah. She's... yeah, no, dude. I think, um, again, I think what the phenomena does in its kind of tricksterish nature is um, it looks at what we are in this timeline that we're in and says, I wonder what would happen if I bent it just a little bit to see how mm. they'd react. Wow. And that's what I, I think could be happening. Um, you know, again, as a playwright, I sometimes look at all of the phenomenon as one giant performance piece, like wow. the biggest, most epic play you can think of that's going to be on stage for millennia. And mm-hmm. that they're just seeing how us, the audience, is going to react. And, you know, in in the theater world, we have this idea of breaking the fourth wall um, where characters are in their world and then they turn to the audience and say, what do you guys think? (laughs) And 
back in the day, you would never do that, do that on right. on in theater. It was like sacrilegious. Um, but now you see it more and more, or you see it in tele television and movies where like you know, I go back to like say by the bell where Zach would be like, time out, <laughs> and he'd come out and like preach something to to the um to the audience or whatnot. Um, I do wonder at times, like, is this the phenomena um where that barrier is between the stage and the the chairs? Um, are they just breaking the fourth wall to give us a tiny glimpse and to be like, what do you think about this? Um, how's it, what are you going to do after that? Like this whole idea of like a cargo cult, like what if we do crash one of our craft in a desert somewhere remotely in, I don't know, let's say uh, spin. Oh, Roswell, New Mexico. Yeah. Throw the craft there. Um, we'll, we'll put a few beings in there. Unfortunately, they're, they're casualties of scientific exploration. Um, let's see what they do. And I, I always go back to like Space Odyssey. Like the monolith is there. And then humanity slowly evolves around that and interprets it in their own ways. And then eventually, uh, you know, becomes what it is. So what if, what if that could be happening? I love that concept of like, are they gifting us things? just small glimpses, whether it's through these abduction experiences or close encounters, be like, all right, let's see what they do with this. Let's see what they do with this. And now we're living in an age, at least here in the United States, um, where it's all about military and it's all about the threat potential mm -hmm. and, um, and this and that and this and that. So you got to wonder, like, are they just going to see what we do with it? Um, just like you would an experiment with an animal, you know, throw something in the cage and see what it does. Um, and the results will probably vary. And maybe that's mm -hmm. what they're trying to see. Like, huh, they did this, they did that. Oh, the nukes were um, shut off by our UFO. Let's see what happens if we turn them back on, turn them off again, or wow. even launch them. <laughs> you know, like I set up know. a launch sequence that they need to interrupt, like mechanically, what, what, yeah. like they did with the Russians. Yeah. Yeah. Could that's be a really message. Maybe yeah. they're trying to tell us something that we're just not ready to listen to i don't know i don't know one of my big questions that i'm not going to ask right now because we want to let the audience get a chance to uh have we're going to do like a rapid fire round so we'll ask oh, cool. you something kind of rapid fire try and get through those but my big question and and, and we've discussed it on uh, nathan and i discussed it with james we've discussed it amongst ourselves is if they are capturing if they are sampling we're you know basically we take when an experiencer tells us and we believe them for whatever our metrics are that they've passed through our filter and we say, you know what, I believe this person. So they've taken biological material from me, from either my sexual organs, so on and so forth, or another part of my anatomy. Um, what is the reason that they're taking? They find value in it or they wouldn't take it. The question is, why do they want it? That's a, that's a big box. I won't open right now, but something we can get to. Let's get to the rapid fire round, and then if we have time, we'll maybe we'll attack that question as a as a as a, a group of us. Sure. So go ahead, Kashi. Yeah, we don't. Uh, we have a couple of questions. I've actually been able to group them. We have one right here from Ask an Alien. Yeah. Questions <laughs> for um of me. I always wanted to say it that way. Questions for um of me. Um, in all of your research. Oh, hold on. I have a. There's a better version of it. In other words, which event where three or more people saw the actual alien beings is the most credible, has the best descriptions, drawn, put images, uh, such as the South Australian school children? 
Ooh, they stole my thunder. That was the one I was going to say. Yeah. Um, Rua, Zimbabwe, uh, where six, over 60 school children um, witnessed a craft land. Beings come out, um, you know, kind of check out the area. Some of the students said that they even received like telepathic messages or images of like, you know, the destruction of Earth and you got to clean up your act and you are the next generation on this planet. Like, get it right, get it right. And um, I, I spoke to two of the witnesses actually much later in life. And um, <clears throat> both of them have become incredible people and they credit a lot of what they've become to this event. And I, I again, that's what I am all about is the aftermath of an event and how it affects you moving forward. And um, that would be probably the most credible case you had um uh you had a researcher in south africa actually bring this to america to john mack obviously the harvard psychiatrist who got really into abductions he went over interviewed the children they all sketched it separately and a lot of them had they found patterns throughout it um and then later um even some of the school teachers came forward and said i i believe they saw this I didn't see it myself, but I believe these kids. So um, that would be one. And then actually, the You're other one about West that I'm, West I was Hall. okay, okay, yeah. Um, so you've got more than one school event. You got the Ruiz Zimbabwe one, then you've got the Westall event of '66, where again a bunch of school children witnessed kind of a similar event as these kids. And um, and yeah, I, I I would have to go with the landings where. Um, a lot of people saw actual beings, some sort of entity involved with it. And uh, those would be my top two if I had to pick. Now, is Thank that you. the one? That was the one where they asked about the, um, didn't they say something about technology to the kids? Yeah. Like fearing te like technology's bad. And I didn't know if that's yep. kind of a recurring w thing. Westall threatened uh, the teacher. That was the one where uh, they threatened yep. a couple of students and the uh, science teacher. And the other one was, uh, was the uh, South African. But let's get another yep. one up there. I so got we get another through. Let's one get, coming. Let's, let's get it. From Mr. Crowley. Ryan, do you believe the different alien crafts and beings are different species or from different times? All of the above. Uh, again, um, phenomena is the best way to, I think, term all of this. I, I don't think we're dealing with one source to UAP. Um, I do like the term UAP, actually. Again, even though it was kind of coined by the government, again, kind of like UFO was. Um, I do believe it broadens the scope of what we're dealing with. And um, I do think just like here on Earth, um, we have all different makes and models of cars. We have all different types of people driving them. We have different vehicles for different purposes. So I do think we're dealing with a lot of different, um, uh, I don't even want to say entities, because I, I don't know that, but intelligences behind these phenomena or um, anomalies behind these phenomena. And who's to say they're not from a different time, a different plane, a different dimension, a different world, um, all of the above. Like who 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 says we're dealing with one thing? Maybe Bigfoot is a ghost. Maybe the Loch Ness monster is a um, is an alien. I I don't know. Um, I think it's cool to ask those questions because if we don't, like we're gonna get stuck in that narrow path of thinking what they thought in the 30s, 40s, 50s that it was just little green men coming in metal saucers, which it's clearly not. It's clearly <laughs> clearly not that. 
Thank you so much. So I've got a couple more real quick, and I know that we're trying to let you go. Mm -hmm. um, oh, don't worry about it. No, no, don't worry. No, about but it. that's all, no. You you've given us plenty of time. We want to be mm -hmm. mindful. So Spaghetti <laughs> Lee, that's right. Can you tell us about your friendship? With Peter Robbins. This is our friend Spaghetti Lee. Oh, Spaghetti Lee. I know Spaghetti, spaghetti Lee. Lee. Yes, he's awesome. Spaghetti. Yeah. I love Spaghetti. Yeah, spaghetti. Um, <laughs> God, you're so much better. That's why I'm a playwright now, man, and not an actor. You're, you're way better at that than I am. Um, so, yes, Peter Robbins is one of my nearest, dearest friends. I do call him my mentor, um, but I think he looks at us as peers, which I, I just, I'm so touched by that. Um, and he really has changed my life. And that's what true friends are. And um, I trust him with everything that I do. I, I come to him all the time. And, you know, he really showed me how to be a good person, not just a quote unquote ufologist or whatever the, you want to call people who look into UFOs. Um, he just taught me how to be a really good person. And, um, empathetic he told me look you're gonna go out there and you're gonna meet some crazy ass people telling the weirdest stories you've ever heard in your life it's gonna be awkward um it's gonna be funny scary exciting nerve-wracking it's gonna be everything so just prepare yourself to um constantly change your mind and be okay admitting when you're wrong and i have been wrong not just in ufology but in life in general so many times and until you can accept that and learn from it, um, you're really doing yourself and I think the field a disservice. You have so many people in this field who are so stuck on one thing that they will not hear anything else. And um, again, I've been guilty of that as well. But I think as time has progressed, um, while I've become skeptical in some aspects of all of this stuff, um, I become very open to another. Like if you were to tell me, Three years ago to look at consciousness when it came to ufos i'd be like ah, yeah yeah sure um go over in the corner have fun with that um now i'm like what if it's real what if like there are blue avian aliens you know on another planet what if, what, what if there are ultra terrestrials or crypto terrestrials living inside our planet and there are some weird breakaway civilization what if and um i think that's kind of where i'm at um I'm no closer to answers, but uh, I love asking the questions. Let me let me give you one other way to think about the UAP UFO discussion, and it's ironic because I'm an aviator by trade, but and mm -hmm. Andy McGrillen isn't. But one t one day when I first got involved in this topic, we were discussing it, and I was kind of also kind of skeptical about them using the term UAP as opposed to UFO. And Andy mm -hmm. said to me, and this was on like a phone conversation, and he said. He said, well, maybe they're not flying. And I started to think about Bernoulli's theorem, which the way we fly airplanes and create lift is based on uh, Newtonian's first and third laws of motion and Bernoulli's theorem. So I started thinking about that and going, oh, yeah, okay, now I see that. They're not flying. <laughs> they're not flying because they don't need the air to create lift and to direct themselves. And every single thing on this planet, and don't let anybody fool you, whether it's the stealth fighter, the SR-71, or the Wright Flyer from Kill Devil Hills in like 1903, they all fly the exact same way. And they all use Bernoulli's theorem. And these craft that they're seeing 
and the way that they're able to move at right angles and they have no control surfaces and no, uh, no sign of thermodynamic propulsion that we can see, that's not what we would call flying. They are moving through the air, but they're not mm-hmm. flying is the way we would call it. So I, now I understand you, AP. All right, uh, Chris. I have one more question from yes, the ma'am. chat. Are you ready for this? Yes. This is very serious. Okay. I'm like ready to hit you with a question from my friend, Kathy Splash. Ryan, what is your favorite flavored <laughs> yeah! ice cream? Yeah, let's hear it. Kathy Splash. John's on Bleecker <laughs> Street and ice cream. Let's go. <laughs> um, and cut to black. No, I'm just <laughs> um, <laughs> we cannot leave the audience like that, Ryan. How dare you? They'll never was, come back to this play oh, again. I'm sorry, that was for Kevin. I'm sorry. Seats will be empty tomorrow. <laughs> is that wait? Is that a scoop mark? I gotta go. <laughs> um, I'm lactose intolerant. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not making light of the abductees. I promise. Guys. Um, I am. Let's see. I'm just. <laughs> I am going to have to go with um, chocolate peanut butter, actually. Oh! my all-time oh! favorite. Wow. Sweet, salty like, kind of guy. Okay. Yes, exactly, man. I love the sweet and the salty. I love chocolate-covered pretzels. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. I'm one of... I'm one of those people who like, you know, puts chocolate on popcorn. Um, so Heck yeah. <laughs> I think I got a thing for the sweet and salty. So chocolate peanut All butter right. for me. Yeah. Love that. All right, Nathan. <laughs> so when I, when I meet the artist Susan Fenston for Coffee mm. in New York this summer, we should just get Sprague. We'll make it all three of us. He probably doesn't know Susan. He will. You will love Susan. She's, She's been amazing. in the game since for 40 years. Uh, she's been yeah. following. This, I do follow her on Twitter. She's um, a wonderful woman. I appreciate and respect her insights. Yeah, I do follow her. So I would love that. I would love to meet you guys in person. All of you at some point when the world reopens entirely. He said all of us, DJ, not just you and Nathan. Did you notice that? Oh, (laughs) I know, right? What's going on? Man, there was no no damn... I just... You guys are way more interested than me. We're bringing the band. We're going to New York. Ouch. I want to do what rent songs. I'm just I have like, just you know. been called. I feel like Yoko Oda. I'm like, I'm going to break up the band tonight. Mm. I'm sorry. No. 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 I'm just reminding no. him that it's a big hey. family. You, you I look be, like John Lennon. Speaking really of Yoko. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh my God, dude. That's amazing. Yeah. He had yeah. a UFO sighting too. Over John? What? He did. Uh, yeah. Lennon. Yep. Over Central Park, he was living at the Dakota. Um, and uh, for anyone who's interested, Peter Robbins, my mentor, he gives tours of New York City. And um, I remember he brought me um, to the Dakota, and you know, I saw unfortunately where he was literally assassinated. Um, yeah. But I also got to see like the window that he looked out and saw a UFO over Central Park, like a classic disc, and. Um, I believe he wasn't with Yoko at the time. He was with his other companion. Um, and they both saw it. So, yeah, man. Something with the musicians and UFOs. I don't know what it is. But um, wow, crazy. maybe it's tapping into that raw artistic side of the brain. And that mm. that's kind of like a, I don't know. It's like bait to these UFOs. If it's not nuclear weapons, it's musicians, I guess. Huh. 
Uh, I'll tell you what, man. We've we've got we've got more for you for uh, next time, uh, Mister <laughs> Mister Sprague. We're going to bring you Probably. back. It talking next it time very about, nice. about the conscious, the consciousness, and this Ooh. other topic in the phenomenon. Yeah, I got to do some studying for yes. sure. You guys are going to school me. No, nah, we're not schooling anybody, man. Uh, it, let everybody say goodbye to you, please. Uh, go ahead, Takashi. Um, Ryan, it's just been a pleasure, and I'm just I'm floored that I for get Clem. to talk to you. I am just so excited that you were able to spend that time. What are you getting for Clint over there? Linda Richmond. Barbara. Barbra. Peanut is neither a peanut oh discuss. Um, anyway, so back to you, Ron. Oh um, thank you for giving us your time. Um, I, I gotta tell you on a personal note, I I used to love before I got into UAPs, I was into like murder podcasts, and it cracks me up because I you and Payne Lindsay have this thing. It's like I used to watch his murder podcast and it's like you tell a story and it's almost like, ooh, my two favorite things, a murder podcast and a UAP. But it's not really about murder. It's all about UAP. But the way that you you tell mm -hmm. the stories, it's just it just transports me. And I just love to listen to you. And I, I was telling them, you could just read recipes to me and I would be totally up. <laughs> like, gonna... a cup of flour? Uh, yeah. <laughs> That's my theater training. The I can't tell you how yeah. many, how many people have reached out to me and be like, I go to bed. I fall asleep listening to your podcast. And I'm just like, is that a good thing? Like, am I that boring? <laughs> that creepy or? No. Right. Love it. Yeah. Okay. Thank you so much. And um, we will Thank be you. taking Thank that you. little road trip to New York. I'm sorry. You offered. Nueva York, Holmes. Mm -hmm. Nueva York. Get in the cab. Get right. in that cab, cabbie. Exactly. So love it. All right. So, Ryan, before we even turn it over to Kevin and then uh, Deb and then Nathan, uh, would you please do a promo for us that sounds something like um, you are this is Ryan Sprague and you're listening to Calling All Beings in your most sultry <laughs> Ryan Sprague that you can conjure, please. All right. All you're right. on stage. Okay. Quiet on the set. And cut to black. No, I can't do it. Again. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> this is Ryan Sprague. And you're listening to Calling All Beings. Nathan's Let me try it again. Gonna... Take two. This is Ryan Sprague, and I'm stepping into the cab with the cabbies. You're listening to Calling All Beings. Man, he's so good. So I love good. it. Kevin, have say a goodbye. Commercial <laughs> Bravo. Bravo. We're going to cut you out. The thing doesn't work out. So yeah. I love it. <laughs> um... Goodbye. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Thanks for coming on, man. It's it's been a real honor meeting you, dude. I've been wanting to meet you for so long. And yeah. Same. It's been, same. Dude, you're one of my heroes in, in this in this field. So thank you for giving us your time, man. And um whenever you're you know, you got a um any openings for a play or a movie, you know, think of my face. I still got it at forty. Okay. Come on. Heck yeah, man. I'm stealing those titles too. <laughs> Mick West story. Oh, oh my god. Right. <laughs> Money Nathan. Oh no, I'm sorry, Debs. 
Yeah, I was told that I could not sing the goodbye song from Rent or we might get copyright strike. (laughs) (laughs) Good point. Or whatever. So so just know that that's what I would have sung to you to say goodbye. (laughs) And thank Thank you so much. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah, Ryan, it's a it is a serious part. Uh, it's it's beyond an honor to have you with us, and um, I just want to thank you for your time. You know, to echo what Kevin said, you are an inspiration, and I know that having done this for so long, you know, you probably have gone through phases where you felt, you know, maybe you doubted the 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 value of the work that you've done, or whether you should keep doing the work. And you know, for those of us here, you know, we're just wanting to encourage you to keep doing what you're doing both in this space and elsewhere. And I think it's all connected uh, one way or the other. And your craft really elevates this conversation. And we are grateful and we look forward to seeing what you're going to do next. Thanks, brother. I, that means the world to me. Um, it really does. I, I, there are, and we all have those moments where we're just done with it. And this phenomenon can do that. And it's done it to me many times. But no, conversations like this and and just talking to you guys, it, 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 it's, it's everything. It really is like, whatever, like TV's fun or like writing a book is cool, but having these conversations is like where the real, real stuff happens to be completely honest. And the fact that any of you guys would be like, yeah, invite him on. We, we actually care about what he thinks. Um, that means the world to me. And I, I mean that. And I'm fans of you guys because we're all in this together. I know that's such a cliche to say, but cliches are there for a reason and, and, and they're real. And you guys, you've made this better for me. And, and you've made me think about things that I, I may have not thought about prior to this conversation. So I have to thank you. You know, trying to follow uh, Money Nathan and then you, Ryan, is like the Who trying to follow Jimi <laughs> Hendrix at the Monterey Pop Festival, in which case Roger Daltrey said, it's not going to happen, mate. Somebody else <laughs> is going after Hendrix, not going to be us. So, uh, I love it. So, um, no, I, uh, we are really honored. Uh, you're somebody that I looked up to from the beginning and was tweeting back and forth with very early on, like Andy and James and so on and so forth, uh, several of these people. Uh, we're here to try to bring a modicum of positivity to the space. There's been a lot of fighting among many of our principals and people mm-hmm. that we need to exercise some leadership, people that have been in it longer than we have. And um, um, so we're trying to, to try to lead by example and hope that, but we're also ready to follow, you know, if somebody's going to lead, because in order for us to try to uh, get to find some common ground and some consensus into something that we're all passionate about, but we're doing the most human thing ever in finding ways to fight about it and hate on one another. But when you come in this space here, you're going to be loved. You're going to be cared for. We're going to ask you some questions and, uh, and then we're going to say goodbye to you and, and, and hope that you'll want to come back. And when we do, we'll explore some, some deeper questions. So on behalf of uh, money, Nathan and our producer, Akashi, Chris, our uh, humorous Kevin and our researcher Deb, uh, CJ saying uh, peace out, one love, and we'll see you down the road. Thank you guys. Truly honored. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. We're honored. We are. <laughs> <laughs>